Hello and welcome to Virtual Roundtables Live, the broadcast that brings business leaders together to discuss and debate the latest industry topics and trends. Now over to today's host. Okay, so I'm here to talk to you about how to build successful design teams. So I'll start, first of all, a little bit about myself. I've been fortunate enough to work in digital design now for over 20 years for some top UK and global brands, spanning a wide range of industries across telecommunications, e-commerce, gaming, media, financial services, and currently the uh, sexy world of building manufacturing and distribution, uh, where I'm user experience director at St. Gaban, working across a sort of portfolio of UK brands on a huge digital transformation programme, which includes includes brands such as Juicens, Idol Bathrooms, British Gypsum, to name a few of them. I also speak at some of these events regularly and I also run a TEDx annual women's event that's based in London and the next one's coming up uh, in December as well. So, what I want to cover in the time I've got this afternoon is a bit about why we need design in our organisations today, how you set those teams up, the roles and skills you need in those teams and how you go about hiring them and retaining them as well. So I've actually run a number of design teams in these different organisations over the, you know, the 20 years that I've been in the design business. And I've literally had a teams that have ranged from as many as two designers up to 40 designers. So some have been co-located in different countries. So when I was at Betfair and Amazon, I had designers who were working in four different countries. So it's about how to manage that as well. Also about, I've used models of centralised and decentralised teams and talk a bit more about those later as well. And also about why design is important today in organisations and how you set those teams up for success very much. So, this is a quote from Brian Solis, who's a prominent US speaker and digital analyst. And what he's really saying here is that today we have high expectations, the like of Google, Amazon and Apple, have taught us what a good experience should be like. Yet, so often, many organisations are still working in silos. I know, for instance, that every year when my annual phone contract comes up for renewal, I have to go through the painful experience of actually calling the telecommunications company, usually ending up with me threatening to leave them till I manage to get the best deal and unfortunately those, that company isn't allowing me to do that digitally and get the best deal and that's where they really should be focused. So I'm just going to ask for a tiny little bit of audience participation for a minute. Can you raise your arm and keep your arm raised if you use Uber? Good and um, keep it up there. If you, are you prepared to, how long are you prepared to wait? Keep your arm up if you're prepared to wait five minutes for an Uber. Okay, ten minutes? If you go down, 20 minutes, you've all gone down. Well, practically, but you're very, you're very patient. <laughs> but this point, it depends where you live. <laughs> but um, I think that just shows you how digital has really enhanced experiences and raised our expectations these days. Whereas, you know, 10 years ago, we'd all been perfectly happy to wait sort of 20 minutes for a cab, no problem at all. So, what we've also seen a pattern is design becoming a really important part of businesses as well. And we've seen a number of big corporates buying up small design agencies, such as um, uh, Accenture brought Fjord in 2013. Last year, Capgemini brought Adaptive Labs. And Adaptive Path um, were bought by Capital One, who I was working for a few years ago, who are a very successful design San Francisco-based design agency. And not buying them brought, had a huge impact on Capital One's business 
business. It really brought in the influence of design into product strategy and development very much. So they saw the size of the design team over the past four years at Capital One US grow from 40 designers up to 400 designers, where they're really embedded in every part of the organization. So let's look at a couple of design models. The centralized design team. Now this is an ideal model when you're starting out with a design team. It's small, it's growing, and what you do, it gives you the ability to centralize all designers. Basically, they're all sat together, they're able to share resources, they're able to share research, and they're able to deliver efficiently as well. But over time, as the work increases and the size of the team grows, that sometimes becomes a bit unsustainable. And they get often seen as they get disempowered, because what they're often finding is the requests are coming later um, and product decisions have already been made. They're not inc included at the start of the conversation. And I've heard the term design monkeys, or we're doing the colouring in, and that's not really where a designer wants to be at all. So then it makes sense to maybe move to a decentralized team design team model. This means the team is bigger, the work is increased, and that actually means taking the designers out of a centralized team and putting them into an actual, usually a product team along with um, engineers, sometimes marketing and branding teams as well, sometimes analytics as well, and putting them all working together under one sort of leader as well, which means they're not connected to that design leadership anymore. And often this starts off good, the designer feels empowered, they feel that their voice is being heard, but then over time they can feel quite isolated because that centralisation that they had before means that they're not getting to share sort of uh, knowledge, they're not getting to share, um, particularly if user research is still centralised, they're not getting to share that knowledge as well. Also means it's less efficient, so obviously if people are on holiday it means that work can't be shared evenly. So. So there's good and bads in both, but quite a good compromise, particularly with a large-sized team, is to have a centralised partnership. And it brings the best of both worlds together, really. So designers still remain important um, reporting into a centralised leadership that has that overall responsibility for them. So again, they keep that consistency by having regular meetings, regular check-in points. That leader is responsible for their development and mentoring, so they feel they're getting good coaching and support. It also means that they've got that efficiency that I mentioned before to move work around and to move across different projects. So they get a bigger overview of, of the design organisation on what's going on in that company as well. So how do you build the right team then? So this was me way back in 2000 when I joined Amazon as the first UK designer. There was my, just myself, there I was trying to be creative, managerial, hands-on, trying to get to grips with understanding the organisation as well. So my one word of advice, if you're in a leadership role, be it design or whatever, is that you bring someone else into the organisation to support you so they can be dedicated 100% hands-on and that gives you a little bit of time to be freed up. You'll still be hands-on to a degree, but frees you up a bit to build those relationships in the organisation, promote design and actually go through the hiring process. Also, the big benefit is this, is um, you've immediately promoted yourself of head of design there. I don't know if you noticed the change in size. Well, it's got to be a good thing, hasn't it? So, and as that sort of little team grows, you want to bring in sort of more specialist roles. So you want to bring in a visual designer, you know, who will have that skill of, of, of dealing with colour, typefaces, um, interactions, and pulling those together to produce good visual design. A good UX designer who can take care of those workshops with your product owners, and can do that wireframing and accept that initial prototyping as well and set that out. 
And personally, I'm a big fan of bringing in user research at this stage. However small the team is, I'd encourage you to spend some of the budget on user research. Can they can start developing the conversations with customers and really understanding what their needs are as well. And as that grows, really, you're just building out that size of the team, really. Um, to the point you may want to duplicate another UX designer, another visual designer, but also think of bringing content strategy or content writing into the team so they can really to be representative of the voice of the customer and they can start developing that tone of voice and understanding that dialogue with the customer that you need to create. So next step is the team's getting bigger. You've got a team of about 12 now. And what you want to might think of doing at this point is bringing in uh, team lead roles. Now these people, what they do is they will take responsibility for some of those products within the, the teams. They won't necessarily be managing those individuals, but they may be capable of doing that in the future, of aspirational to do so. And I think these individuals have a tough job because they'll certainly be involved in the overall scope of the project, but they're also be involved in the minute sort of pixel detail as well. So they'll be able to communicate with senior stakeholders, but at the same time um, communicate with very junior members in the organisation as well. And don't worry, we're not going to go any bigger than this. But the team's really scaled out. There's about 18 now. And you really need to think about bringing in some other management um, into the team as well. So maybe what you want to do at this time is promote some of those design leads into design managers so they actually do become people managers and responsible for those individuals as well. And in that case, you may bring, also look to bring in design strategy into the organisation. And these are people who would do the upfront discovery, would probably work very close with the user researcher and look at identifying opportunities for future projects that could be developed. Also, as head of design, a lot of your time is probably being spent under general administration at this time. So look to bring in a design producer, someone who can take care of the sort of budget planning, the day-to-day -day meeting organisation, the onboard in, putting training in place for the rest of the team. So that means as a manager or head of design, that frees you up a bit to function on what you're good at doing is about building those relationships, promoting design, and really understanding sort of the bigger scope of your design organisation as well. Okay, so we've got a structure. We need to hire people now. Uh, well, I've seen a lot of designers in the time. I've probably worked with over 300 designers in my career. And I'm pleased to say the majority of them have been good hires. I can now, I hope, be able to identify the good from the bad, or even the ugly. So, but what um, I am a believer is, is bringing in specialist skills into an organisation once you get past that small stage. And uh, you, I don't believe in unicorns. They're mythical creatures, as beautiful as they are. And I think the user experience unicorn is a bit like that as well. What I do is I believe that I want someone who's got good skills, maybe one or two specialist skills, such as bringing in a good visual designer can really enrich that interface, whereas you're and a good information architect can really uh, lay the foundations of your website and bring it good flow and give it good taxonomy and structure. So the hiring process. Right, I think start, you know, this is pretty basic stuff across what you do for any role, but really be clear what the job is and what the role is and what level it is as well. Review CVs and portfolios. I think I always feel very um, privileged as a designer that I can ask for a portfolio, and I realise that isn't able to do that across all industries. So have a good look at that portfolio. Read LinkedIn profiles. Really look at those. Reach out to those people who know other people that you may be associated with to get feedback. 
rather than go through a whole um, interview process straight away, start by doing a, maybe a phone screening or a conference, Zoom or Skype or WebEx conference call with that person. Or even better, if they're quite local to you, arrange to meet them in a coffee shop for half an hour and just have a chat with them so you really understand what they're looking for for their next move, to see if it's the right um, career um, next step in the ladder for them, and if they're really aligned with fitting in with your team and the culture in your organisation as well. Then at the interview stage, um, I always start off with a portfolio review. Um, so what I do is I involve the team in that process as well. I set design tasks, so what I'd do is probably ask them to prepare two or three case studies that they can talk about. Rather than just show me finished products, I'm really keen on seeing their design thinking, their sketches, the process that they've been through, and the results that they got from that, what they actually achieved with this product as well. Also, behavioural interviews questions are important as well, again, to see if they would fit into your team and culture. Check references go as a given, really, as well. And hopefully, if you've done all that, you make an offer. Now, in the hiring process, I talked a little bit there about the process there, but what you really want to look for is in that portfolio is good technical ability. You want to understand the context, you want to see their sketches and artefacts, and then to be able to talk about what they've done as well, really. Communication for a design is important as being able, you've got to be able to articulate the decisions you've made. So as I mentioned, the design task, I want to understand how long they had to do the project, what they'd done with it, what their time management was like, who they engaged with, who their stakeholders were, and who they collaborated with to do the project as well. So those hard skills can be taught, but quite often soft skills can't be taught in the same way. So what I'm looking for in that interview process is also that sort of understanding, that passion for design, you know, what exhibitions have they been to, what things or artists do they like, um, what do they like getting involved in. And also, do they have empathy? Can they put themselves in the shoes of the user and understand what the user is going through very much as well? So I'm looking for that humility, creativity, attentiveness, and also humour, I think is very important in a design team as well. So, um, and that's um, a good example of what um, Albert Einstein said on this slide here. Also diversity. I think we all know in this day and age that diverse teams make for great and successful teams and we're all keen to bring diversity into our organisation. But this isn't just about gender and race, but it's about backgrounds, educations and experiences as well. And I think this was a really good example at Apple, someone who was visually impaired come up with the idea of fingerprint recognition and who knows if that person hadn't been in the organisation then we might not have that brilliant functionality today. Also a great believer of bringing young talent into the organisation. I heard uh, George earlier talking about the X-Gen and the Millennium Generation. I've got two of those at home. So, <laughs> but what I love about them is their energy for digital engagement and they're often using the latest social networks. Um, my kids tell me things that I didn't know um, that, that are going on out there. So these people can bring in a real fresh blood and energy into your organisation as well. There's no doubt they're incredibly cost effective as well and I'm pleased to say that I've hired some people who have gone in to be incredibly successful. They're in the same sort of 
leadership roles that I'm in now in other organisations. So I'd encourage you to develop relationships with universities, whether you're in its design, marketing or development and engineering that you're in as well. Um, you know, because I've worked with some of these um, organisations over the year and have built sort of fantastic relationships, We've got involved with projects that they're doing as well. I think we've done one at the um, Royal College of Art years ago on sort of future phone tech when I was working in, um, at Free in telecommunications and stuff that's beginning to happen now they were sort of doing sort of eight years ago really. Right, so a little bit about the team qualities that we're bringing into, into these teams. So what you, you've hired this successful team, you've got these talented people, but the talent isn't enough. To get the most of the team you require sensitive management, visionary leadership and well-run operations. So a successful design team output is a result not only of its skill, but the sophistication and sensitivity of how it operates. And I'd put these under three headings, foundation, output and management. And I'll just talk a little bit about these now. Foundation is just that. It's about laying the right foundations for your team. It's putting the, the groundwork in the process. So the first one is about how creating a mission. I know we talked earlier at the start of the uh, kickoff today about having a mission statement that all your team have engaged in and the importance of that. This is as ours at St. Gaban um, to create engaging and effective experience across all touch points and channels to make customers and ourselves successful. Equally, it's good to have design principles in your team. And I wouldn't encourage you to have more than three because it's easy to remember if you've just got three of them. And this is our, the ones we've got is about consistent. And we've talked a lot, we've heard the word consistency talked a lot about today, where we're talking about designing consistent or coherent experiences across all our different touch points for our customers, be it the website they're engaging with or the person they may be speaking to in a call centre. So, and so that consistency is about creating from a design perspective, creating sort of clear call to action. So having primary call to actions across all your touch points that look and behave in the same way. Simplicity is about helping to get a form done as quickly and easily as possible. And efficiency is about designing to the right location. So for instance, what you might want to be designing for a mobile access on a mobile device would be different to maybe what you want to be designing to someone sitting in an office and looking at a laptop, for instance. And foundation is really important. Maybe I found as a big change for me with someone who was a practicing designer was that my role changed incredibly. You know, you could be a great creative director, but you need different skills once you move into design management and leadership because it becomes much more about diplomacy, building relationships with other teams across product, engineering and marketing. But also it's about that nurturing of individuals of your team very much. And it's also about maybe the more boring side of stuff, but setting all those processes in place so that you are, you are efficient and you are delivering value to the organisation as well. So the next one is output. And this is really about the quality of the work that you're producing and getting it out there. It's about remembering your customers are on a journey that touches every part of the organisation. I've used the word touch points a lot, but it's really key in considering that you know, you've got to understand where your customer is coming from and all the interaction points they have. This is just an example of a journey map that we use. 
Output, how do you maintain quality? Well, I find that everyone's got an opinion about design. Unlike code, very rarely do people are going in and saying, why did you write that piece of code like that? But people often have an opinion about, oh, why did you use that colour? Why don't you do it this colour? Well, so what's with designers we need to do is we need to create style guides, design patterns that we can use and repeat again so we maintain that consistency, but it also makes us more efficient because we're not creating things again and again. We're able to pull these in and reference these automatically. And I felt here that I couldn't do, a, as a designer, couldn't do a slide, a, a presentation without putting a slide of uh, the dear Steve Jobs in there. And this is what Steve said, real artist ship. So even the most master of craftsmen sort of working away, sort of carving knives in their little studio, got to get their work out there. And the world we live in today of agile development and two-week sprint delivery, we should be delivering work regularly and, um, you know, and, and trying things out and experimenting with things. We have the luxury with the way we work today to be able to test things, A-B test, MVT test, and learn from that and then recycle that and deliver a better experience from thereafter. And I think very much as a design leader, it's about being pragmatic about what is right to ship. We've got to get, it's better to get something out there and learn from it than not get it out there and be late, for instance. You've got to be delivered. And I think passing that on to your team as well, saying to them, look, let it go. Just let it go. You can't tweak it anymore. Just get it out there. And then the last area is about management, really, and a really important area. Because for a high-performing design team to thrive, they really need a good management structure put in place as well, with sound practices. Otherwise, they become disillusioned and won't want to stay with you. It's a hot market. They'll be going somewhere else. So what we've tried to do, I work at Newbury after years of being based in London. I couldn't get a bigger contrast from being in the hub of Shoreditch with coffee shops on every corner. I'm now out in the sticks in Newbury, opposite a race course, uh, above a builder's merchant. But what we've tried to do in this little digital hub we've built there is build a sort of really flexible culture, um, flexible working hours. You can bring your dog to work. This is Boise, who's my manager's dog here. And just create a very sort of environment where people can have breakout spaces and it allows for collaboration and for people to thrive. And it's also about continual learning. I really encourage my team to come to conferences such as this and speak at events, go and listen at events and get involved in things. Even take a, you know afternoon out to go to an exhibition and come back inspired and share that with others as well. So, and, you know, and share that. So at least a conference a year is something I'd recommend to everyone. And we've talked a lot about collaboration today, that word, we've used it a lot, but just can't encourage that enough to get teams together, to workshop. I'm a big fan of bringing customers into the organisation as well, where I've run collaborative workshops where we bring customers in and we get them working alongside engineering, product, marketing, branding, etc., just to create a collaborative experience and, and get the best, really, out of it, very much. And just one of the things I've put in here to foster that collaboration because I've quite often been in a room, got a mixed group of people, lots of different skills and you say, oh could you just pick up, we're just going to do some sketching now and you see people sort of freeze on the spot but this is just an icebreaker that we use, it's called 30 circles and what people are given 10 minutes to in the time they've got there to turn these circles into sort of recognisable objects which is sort of a quite a nice icebreaker and then you feel people are quite happy then to draw their little stick men and feel a bit liberated about getting involved in the design process very much. So, last but not least, 
And I think often the most underestimated quality is about effective management of design operations. This is ensuring the team is well managed, processes are documented, your budget is on target and looked after. Regularly and compliance standards are met as well, particularly working in financial services and the gaming industry before. This has been key. We've got to get this stuff right because we could be sued otherwise. Projects are prioritised and visible, so you, you know, design should not be a black box. It should be shared. You should be engaging people. Again, I've often done sort of bring your lunch to work, lunchtime sessions where people will come and have a gather around a product that you've done some sort of quite initial work around and get people engaged. Again, user research, we run sessions where we invite anyone across the organisation to come along and, and observe those sessions with our users as well. Um, and onboarding is taken care of. You know, how frustrating when you turn up at a new organisation, you don't have a laptop, you don't have a phone, you don't even have a pass to get through the door, really. So those little things are the things that really matter as well. Training requirements are arranged so that you know you've got a training budget and that you work with your manager to set up the training, what's right for you throughout the year as well. And finally, be important to measure yourself. You know, we talk about surveying, we talk about NPS scores, but make sure you measure yourself as well and use these qualities to assess your team. So have all team members score themselves against those qualities as well. Identify the areas you need to improve on as well and the opportunities for you and develop that plan to improve on those. Review and feedback regularly, so you're running regular design sessions. It might be, it's certainly about reviewing work, but it can be reviewing other websites. It can be talking about a good experience you had as well as a user somewhere else, maybe outside of your organisation, but about how that made you feel and sharing that with, with your team as well. Survey other areas, ask for feedback. We do a regular survey every quarter where we ask other parts of our organisation, marketing, product, engineering, to get, you know, just give us some feedback about how they've worked with us and areas that we could possibly improve on as well. So in summary, I'm nearly there now, as, um, start small and scour as you need to. Even the most smallest design team can have great impact on your organisation. Share and show the value of design. As I say, don't keep it that box. Make sure you publicise things. This could also be on blogs and you know, posting things on a regular basis, putting things on LinkedIn about a talk that you've done or a product that you've launched maybe in the process you used. Develop and apply those design principles because they will help you in those processes. It will only speed you up to deliver work as well and deliver consistency as well. Hire the right skills in the team. I talked about, you know, maybe small you might want someone who's got a mixture of skills, but pretty soon you're going to need those specialisation skills to bring into your organisation. Build the relationships with university. This is all about bringing that fresh, fresh blood into your teams, setting up internships and graduate schemes. I know Kimberly spoke earlier about the power of mentoring those people as well and how important that is to, you know, to do that and give something back very much as well. Create a design culture as well that, uh, that you can collaborate and others can collaborate with you in and thrive in. And again, measure and improve. It's that continuous process of doing that. Thanks for joining us this week on Virtual Roundtables Live. Make sure to visit our website www.virtualroundtables.com to learn more about upcoming webinars and events.